Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, IndyCar fans. This is Nathan Brown, your motorsports insider with the Indianapolis Star, here for another edition of IndyCar Weekly. As always, I'm joined by Meyer Shank Racing, full-time driver in the number 60, Jack Harvey, as we break down last weekend's uh, busy, wild, uh, sometimes crazy doubleheader weekends that IndyCar had with NASCAR and the Xfinity Series on the IMS road course. We will talk through this upcoming weekend's race uh, Saturday night at Worldwide Technology Raceway and also get into a little scheduling news that we've just heard of that uh, should become public knowledge by the time this podcast is uploaded and you're giving it a listen. So, Jack, um, how, uh, how'd you feel coming off of your, uh, what was it? Fifth time now that we've run on the IMS road course in about 13 months. It feels like that, man. Honestly. <laughs> um, I mean, it was a good weekend for everyone at my shank racing, really, mm-hmm. uh, probably not with the raw speed that we, we hoped we might have, uh, you know, certainly I thought we might have qualified a little bit better, um, Going into the race, I thought we were going to have great race pace, and I think we did. We just didn't have enough to challenge to move significantly forward. Um, all that being said, we we just we did what we haven't been able to do this season really in general, and that was get the end result on race day. And um, frankly, I was just happy that we came out of we came out of that weekend. Uh, from frustrated for the right reason that we just wanted to figure out how we got more speed not you know what happened to the strategy you know etc etc so um you know i kind of left feeling pretty pretty happy and you know ready for ready for st louis this weekend mate honestly we saw um via qualifying maybe some of the evidence of just the amount of times that this series has come to this track, as I mentioned, you know, with a last year's July 4th race, the doubleheader of the Harvest Grand Prix, and then two races, one in May and one this past weekend in August, you saw the top of the leaderboard in terms of qualifying was just unbelievably close. I've got it in front of me right now. The top five um, in the Firestone Fast 12 separated by not just just under what would that be five hundredths of a second between uh Pato award who got the pole uh the eventual race winner and willpower Romain Grosjean who um took a, another runner-up finish here Christian Lungard in his first indie car race and Colton Herta um just a probably you know evidence that as we continue going with this um car that I think you know people have certainly begun to figure out even more so with how long this 
current chassis has been an IndyCar. And on a track that everyone, I think, is pretty comfortable with, you're starting to see just that evidence of, um, you know, even more so this weekend of just how incredibly tight this series is. You start, you qualified, um, as you mentioned, seventh, another strong day for you guys. Um, I know you talked a little bit about just not quite having that speed um, to, you know, necessarily be able to compete with guys like Will and Pato up at, at the front to try and challenge for a victory. When you had a um, you know chance to watch this race back in the days since, what were your your thoughts on um, what turned out to be Will's uh, first victory in 2021? Yeah, I mean, I think Will's, you know, exceptionally fast at the uh, at the road course. I mean, I've got his one there, I feel like, several times now since I've been here. You yeah, know, five, five um, times total. Wow. You know, <laughs> so he's clearly got it uh, dialed in there, clearly, uh, you know, so did Team uh, Penske. And, you know, I feel like, you know, when you go to Indy, I feel like, you know, we've become one of them people that other teams and drivers, you know, look out for and expect us to be to be quick. And, you know, certainly I felt like we were. Um, I thought in May it looked like we had a winning car. Mm-hmm. You know, perhaps Will didn't look like he had a winning car then, and you know maybe it's just flopped a uh, a little in on this weekend. And obviously, Romain was very fast. It looked like Pato was flying, you know, in qualifying. And you know, I know I saw he say after the race that you know he was a little disappointed with you know his race pace and things like that. But um, it's it was so tight, man. You know, like qualifying was probably the closest it's been all season on a on a outside an oval. I would say, um, you know, it was just, you know, if you qualified fourth and, you know, missed your theoretical lap time by half a second, uh, sorry, half a second, half a tenth, I mean, that would have been the difference to being on poles, you know, mm-hmm. so I think that uh, I was really happy with, you know, on the whole, the general competitiveness that we had, you know, we were quick in the warm up, we were quick in practice, we just didn't quite have it in quality. Um, and I think, you know, within within reason, the, the way the race plays out there, that, um, you know, track position can be quite important. And, you know, had we qualified a little bit better, I think we might have raced, you know, just a little bit better from the front. So um, I think it was good. I mean, on the whole, it was good. It just uh, obviously one more. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned qualifying fourth. Uh, I mean, was certainly a, a surprise to see... Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan's driver in the number 45, Christian Lungard, who's won races in Formula 2 and who was making his IndyCar debut this weekend. Um, I, I know even in practice, I think there was a time late in the that uh, practice session where he was either leading or very close to being on top of the, the speed charts, and he comes out, um, makes a fast 12, I think, fairly comfortably. Um and then finishes fourth in qualifying doesn't quite last um, or, you know, stay quite at that spot going through the race. I think that's probably just evidence that, you know, maybe a a new guy like him has some really great raw speed and certainly probably has, you know, if he were to come to IndyCar next year, have a little bit to go to, um, you know, just get develop that, that race pace and that consistency in that car, but certainly as a driver um, that, you know, I would expect to be, you know, us hear more from whether it's, 
coming into 2022 potentially with that Ray Hall team or, or someone else or um, maybe even a, another year down the road. But he was a, a driver that stood out to me that uh, I didn't exactly know what to expect. We heard, you know, we had a chance to talk to him early last week. He noted that, you know, IndyCar is something that certainly interests him. Um, but the main goal still is to, to shoot for a potential Formula One ride. I think he's had a little bit of a tough year here in F2, and I'm not sure if that's necessarily in the cards for him in the immediate future, but it would be interesting to see, you know, if he was offered up a, an IndyCar spot, whether he would um, pursue that or to continue down the, the F1 track in the uh, Alpine Academy that I know he's been a, a part of for a little while now. Um, let's see, going through the list, um, as you mentioned, uh, another top two finish for Romain Grosjean, something that kind of caught me by surprise a little bit is the fact that we, you know, we found out after the race, after all the points got tabulated is that we actually, not only do we have a, a very fierce battle for the IndyCar championship this year, but we've also got, uh, and probably an even tighter one for the the rookie of the year race that uh i mean i w would certainly admit i was one of uh that just kind of assumed because scott mclaughlin was the only rookie that was going to be running the full series this season that he was just kind of anointed to be the 2021 rookie of the year in the series really before i got started but i think he is now uh six or seven points ahead of Romain Grosjean, who took another second-place finish on the IMS road course, and Romain is uh, pursuing his first oval race this weekend here at Worldwide Technology Raceway, which we'll get to in a little bit. But did that surprise you um, to hear you know, how close he and, and Scott have um, become with what, what do we have now? Four races to go and four races that they will both be competing in. Uh, I guess so, because I feel like I've just heard that for the first time just now. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it so depends how you look at it, mate, honestly, because it remains not a rookie in the sense of open wheel, higher downforce racing. Very true. You know, where obviously Scotty is, you know, like he's come from, he's doing something completely different than what he has done for a very very long time um you know and I, you know even speaking from experience really and how our season has gone doing not having a good indy 500 can significantly hurt where you are in the standings that being said you know a couple of bad results on a road course you know balance that out and and you know in truth remain has been very strong you know pretty much all season i feel like um and i think that goes a lot to the fact that you know he has a obviously a huge amount of experience at maybe not these circuits but just in general as, and that contributes to why he's been you know so strong and so good so yes they're both rookies yes obviously romaine you know hasn't done what texas and the 500 but, you know, I, in some ways, I kind of feel like it was 
I don't know if I I thought that maybe Scotty would have won it as well, like you said, just on the fact that he's doing a full season. Um, you know, but that's also, I guess, you know, the ebb and flow of racing seasons. You know, mm-hmm. just, just if he misses, you know, if Remain misses one, I mean, you don't know how Texas may or may not have gone. You know, and if they didn't go very well, then it doesn't super change his situation in the points. Mm-hmm. That being yeah. said, if it did go well, obviously he'd be pushing for probably a you know top five in points. I would say kind of season like he's had. Um, you know, it, it ebbs and flows so much that you know I thought the rookie class this year was you know massively experienced and an incredibly talented group of people either in you know what they're currently doing you know i mean jimmy's going to be a, a motorsport legend you know there's no doubt about that for everything that he achieved in cup racing um but different levels of experience in open wheel racing mm-hmm. and i don't know exactly where you balance all these things up in and which ones kind of come out of the wash and whatever apart from you know i think it's uh I think it's fascinating that at this stage of the year, I think it's nice to see there's so many things still in play. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, Scott, I mean, he had that really strong start to the season, obviously that second place at Texas uh, that maybe came as a as a bit of a surprise and followed it up with a, a really great eighth place finish the, the next day in the Texas doubleheader. And I mean, it's certainly, I wouldn't say that he's had a, you know, a, a bad season since then he's had uh what a a fairly solid couple races between road america and mid ohio where he was mid pack um you know and then a what four or five races beyond that where he's down around 20th place but when we've got, got grids that are you know getting to 27 28 drivers um not you know not something that we'll have this weekend at gateway necessarily but something that was getting to be fairly regular between Road America, Mid-Ohio, Nashville, uh, and this past weekend for a, a guy who's, as you mentioned, just getting into open wheel uh, racing for the first time really in his career, given just how tight this series is. You know, I, I don't I don't think it's um, unreasonable to expect him to, you know, maybe not be adjusting on road and street courses to this car quite as quickly as, as Roman has Roman had that, you know, tough weekend at Detroit in what would have been his, his second street course weekend this year and ended both of those races with contact early on. But beyond that, I mean, he had beyond those two races his his poorest finish was 16th uh, at Nashville. I think he qualified there pretty darn strong and was up near the front for a lot of it and for some reason i think just kind of drifted back might have been just on um a strategy call with how tight that top half of the field was by the end of that race so um exciting to have a a rookie of the year battle to talk about a little bit along with this increasingly tight uh series championship battle we had uh alex Palou toughest day of the year for him and what continues to be a, a little bit of a puzzling engine issue that he's had on the the number 10 he had to go through uh a six place grid penalty at nashville um 
for reaching his fifth engine before those had been mileaged out. That was large in part due to what he said later was a, a blown engine that he suffered in, I think, his first day of off-season testing this past off-season. Uh, and he suffers uh, a, a blown engine mechanical issue with about 20 laps or so to go in this race on Saturday. And that relegates him. You know, I think he was in, in fourth and potentially hunting down third place at the time in that race. And it relegates him to 27th in a 28 car race and his lead he had on Pato award uh well I, I guess it was technically on scott dixon he had a 42 point lead on scott entering saturday and comes away uh with Pato finishing fifth taking pole now just a, a 21 point lead with four races to go and it really does look uh as these five drivers get closer and closer together i mean even marcus erickson now is um let's see here uh, 58 points back, uh, I think, of um, of his teammate in Alex Polo. It looks like we could have a really, really, really interesting series finale if um, one of these four guys other than Alex can get a win or two in these next couple races. Um, we might have one of the most exciting and unpredictable championship runs going into the final race weekend of the season that we've had in some time in the series. Oh, for sure. You know, I think in a lot of ways, if you look back at the start of the season and you're trying to predict, you know, who may be fighting for a championship, you know, how competitive the year is, this championship battle really is just seems fitting of the group of great drivers and teams that are in the series this season uh going to alex's engine for a moment that is an extremely weird one because i i remember that he had taken that penalty in um in nashville and another person who took a penalty this weekend as well was joseph newgarden mm-hmm. uh you know so kind of unusual that you got you know a few engines going here and um you know alex was very strong you know he managed to get past me he then managed to get past alexander rossi you know and he was having a a very strong day um you know and he i was chatting to him uh yesterday actually i saw him because we live in the same apartment building and we were just chatting for a little bit and uh you know i think they had a an, another issue with something else which then forced them into having to do you know something different with the engine and then you know it would appear that that led to having something pretty rubbish happen you know in the race Mm. And it's just crazy that, like, on one of them days, that's the day you want, like, 21 cars on track, you know, yep. because then maybe it, it limits the damage. And, you know, certainly having been one of oh, a point, you know, with my shank racing, one of them people who comes in for, you know, partial seasons, um, you don't really think of any implication that might happen for the, you know, for the full time drivers you know and in that day all the you know partial cars if they weren't there probably makes his situation look a little bit better because when we go to long beach and the championship fight is on i can promise you all right here right now that every point is going to be important mm-hmm. and you know these are the ones where you feel bad for for alex because it was you know something that happened out of his control you know he's going to have to pay another grid penalty somewhere or oh, this weekend you know i guess in gateway you know because you're gonna have to probably put another engine in um and that's a nine place grid penalty i believe on an oval 
It is. You're right. You know, and it's one of them things where, you know, when it rains, it pours. And, you know, for him, he's done such a brilliant job, you know, that I just hope that, uh, you know, I, I would love to see the championship be decided on other factors than that. That being said, I think the season being so close, you know, from what first to what realistically fifth or sixth, you know, like those guys are still in with, with a hunt. And then when you see these weekends play out, you know, where, you know, I would say Pato was the big winner in the championship battle in Indy. You can like cut some serious points off of the people ahead of you. Mm-hmm. If it goes, you know, if it goes in your favor. And that to me is what IndyCar racing is all about. And specifically, that's what this current group, is about because it has been so competitive all season that it seems fitting that we've got a really exciting battle on our hands. Yeah, I I know you said that uh you know Pato you know post race was a little bit disappointed and that's you know certainly fair given the fact that he's gotten a pole he's now had you know uh, pole twice this year in instances where he you know wasn't able to to close out the win i know it was a little bit of a a disappointment there for him between barber and uh this weekend um and i and i guess he didn't also win uh detroit race one even though he when he had pole even though he's gotten uh, a couple victories elsewhere but still finishing fifth on a weekend where joseph was forced to start 20th as you mentioned because of his sixth place grid penalty He's able to climb up to eighth, and I think was the the biggest mover on the day. Uh, Marcus, you know, kind of started the race, I think, fairly mid-pack and, and finished it right around that same spot in ninth. Scott Dixon, uh, you know, was ha- looking like he was having a really strong qualifying run, and he spins literally like 100 yards, it looked like, from the timing line to finish off his lap to make it into the fast 12 and spins and loses his best lap and therefore has to start 26th uh, and is able to to claw up to 17th by the end of the race. And when you combine all of that with Alex's 27th place finish, I know it's not a day that Pato necessarily individually is super happy with, but he's able to not only cut Alex's lead on second place in half, but he's able to jump back ahead of, of Dixon and uh, even get, you know, 13 points uh, ahead. And this is a track, you know, as we head to Worldwide Technology Raceway, keep in mind that uh, Joseph, uh, I think it was, what, Joseph and um, it's either Takuma or Dixon won the first race there last year. Joseph won the second one. Pato, I think, was on the podium in both of those races. Uh, So this is certainly a track for one race here on Saturday evening that a lot of these drivers have a lot of previous success on. And I think, uh, we, you know, as the last oval of the season, before we get into that West coast string with road and street races, um, I think this oval, you know, depending on if there's contact or, you know, someone has any sort of an, an issue in the pits, which can prove really detrimental in an oval race like this, uh, I, I would expect Saturday night to be a, a really exciting one and a really impactful one as we uh, look ahead toward this season championship race anymore. Um, 
Well, let's talk a little bit about this weekend's race. We were talking a little bit before we started recording. Uh, this is your uh, second visit for a race weekend to the racetrack just outside of St. Louis. We ran a double header here last year. Um, as a you know a, a fairly decent weekend. I think you finished. Uh, I had it pulled up earlier and don't know if I, I do now, but I think you finished maybe, what maybe just outside of the top ten in both of these races last year. I know it's a, a really interesting track to to run. Um, not you know just a completely normal oval has some some intricacies to it. Maybe just kind of take us through what this track is like to to race on. Uh, it's uh, it almost feels like a roval. You know, in some ways, because turn one is, you know, a break and, you know, down three gears, uh, which is pretty unusual, I would say, for, for an oval. And that being said, it still feels very fast. It's quite tight. The corner, you know, really looks like a, um, you know, more of like a hairpin than a traditional oval. Going down the back straight into, you know, turn three and four. And it's it's probably the epitome of it. You want to be flat and sometimes you just want your brain just to, like, push through you know a little bit of that uh, that feeling and it's quite a wide it's quite wide and quite wide in the middle but then kind of narrows up you know on the exit of four and um i think gateway i enjoyed you know kind of from the get-go last year from you know our first laps i felt like we, we were pretty competitive um you know we actually got burned on one of the yellows actually we got burned twice that weekend by yellows in both races um you know and i felt like we were running very strong uh in both of them you know i think in the one that we started seventh i think i was running fifth and in the one i was running fifth i think i was started fifth sorry i was running sixth um you know so i think it was a <laughs> i hate to say it, it was a pretty uh i don't like to use the word typical but it was a, a weekend that we have had you know more than one time where pace has been very good and you know the outcome wasn't what we what we hoped or what we showed and you know i think the the only good thing about that is um you know when you look at our season now you can actually pinpoint when it's gone wrong like why has it gone wrong you know and hopefully we can put a stop in some of them uh you know areas that were leaking a little bit and hopefully because of that go and get a good result um you know the, the everyone at my shank racing is still working really hard and I think that one of the one of the most difficult things since the announcement that I would be leaving has been having to answer not you know where am I going next, but it's you know is everyone going to keep pushing a hundred percent and you know that was the first thing that me and Michael discussed and agreed upon is that we would keep doing that you know we would keep pushing a hundred percent you know and he said I promise you that everyone on this team will keep doing it and I said I promise you that I will keep doing it. And it's kind of nice to, you know, have, okay, maybe not had the race in Nashville we wanted, but we qualified well. You know, you come to Indy and you go, okay, we're qualified well and we raced well. And hopefully that just kind of puts to bed, you know, any lingering doubt that, you know, for whatever reason, you know, or how people could even imagine this would happen, we're going to push 110 to the end of the year. And that's because of the amount of respect that I have for the team and for myself uh, and, you know, likewise for the team. You know, and I think Gateway is just another great opportunity that, you know, we have as a a group of people who work together to go and try and get a great result because, you know, I really feel like we can go there and, you know, 
push to be in the top five again. I think that would be that'd be awesome, and I think it's you know realistic aim. Um, and you know if we can you know have another good day on pit lane like uh, pit lane like we did at Indy. You know if I can have good in and out laps, and you know just in general good pace, then um, you know we should be looking for a really great uh, a great drive home. Mm-hmm. Um. This is a, a race that I know, you know, it doesn't happen very often in this series with as few ovals as we have nowadays and some of the ovals um, not working this way. But it's a it's a night race. Um, I believe the race starts around 830 or 845 Eastern time. So it's maybe not, you know, pitch black necessarily when you guys are starting the race. But I think it's getting pretty close at that point. Um, do you enjoy is there any part of you know the the night race atmosphere um, that you enjoy uh, in particular racing under the lights versus you know maybe your more typical you know midday road and street uh, event that certainly happens quite a lot on the schedule nowadays? Oh no, I love them. Yeah, I love I love night races. I think they're really good fun. Uh, you know, obviously very different uh, in a lot of ways, and in, in a lot of ways they're very similar. I think the thing that will be interesting across the Saturday of uh, Gateway is the temperature range between, you know, qualifying and the, you know, what is probably going to be the heat of the day versus what's going to be racing kind of into the, you know, the early parts of the evening, um, you know, and how that affects the balance and the handling of the car and things like that. But I mean, inherently, I think that's just kind of cool. Like, I think racing at night is just cool. You know, like I don't think anybody has ever, you know, seen the cars go past, you know, with like an extra like shimmer of light on them from the lights around the outside of the track and just thought, oh, this sucks. You know, <laughs> I've, I've actually been to Gateway and just watched the race as a fan, uh, you know, from actually from the grandstands, once from the spotters stand. And that's a really cool atmosphere. You know, like as, as I would say, obviously it's a, a smaller oval, but I mean, those grandstands last few times I've been have been like completely packed. You know, I mean, it's it's a very cool event and you see a lot of people, and I certainly hope we carry that on this weekend, go to the race and enjoy the race. And uh, it's just one of them, it's one of them tracks where before you even get there, you're starting to get the warm and fuzzies about it. It has a great atmosphere. Um, the track's cool. You know, the fan group seems strong. And uh, yeah, just a lot of really good things to to enjoy about this upcoming weekend mm-hmm. you you touched on it a little bit already but um when we have these one day shows uh where you're practicing kind of in the heat of the day and then you guys have qualifying a couple hours later and then you're you're end up racing at night where the the temperature of the track um and just the the ambient temperature the ambient conditions are probably fairly uh different compared to to what you've been you know practicing in and getting the car in does it at all lead to the potential for any more you know variability in between the, the cars in this series in a series that's already very close um but where maybe engineers and the folks preparing the car maybe have to i wouldn't i would i guess i wouldn't use the word guesswork but you almost have to um, you know, target or 
you know, set the car up based on, you know, the expectations of what the conditions are compared to, you know, say at a, a place like Nashville where you guys are qualifying in the middle of the day and then racing in the middle of the day and things are, you can maybe expect things to be fairly similar for race time um, compared to when you've been running the car that weekend. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be some ebb and flow to that. And, you know, I, I would, I still feel like I'm learning a lot on, on uh, the ovals. And, you know, certainly I'll lean on my engineer, you know, quite a lot uh, in this moment to ask him how he thinks the balance might go and his experience of the track and whatnot. But, um, I mean, ultimately everybody's going to be in the same, the same boat. And, um, you know, I really would be um, not uh, cautious in the word. Every time we tried to be cautious this year, it ended up not working out very well. But um, you know, we, we've we've had a very methodical thought process throughout so much of this season in terms of you know when we take risk and the risk that we take, you know, the setup changes we make, the risks I take in the car, you know, etc. Have been um, you know very calculated, and we've all really agreed upon what we've been trying to uh, do and what we've been trying to achieve. So, um, yeah, I don't see any reason why we can't, you know, carry that on in a, in a really productive way. And certainly some different challenges at Gateway because of the, you know, three different times of the day that we're going to be driving. But uh, ultimately, everyone's going to be in the same, the same boat. And, you know, it's going to be down to us to... Uh, to try and manage that the best we can and, you know, be as smart as we can, not try and be too smart, obviously, but you know, all them things are what we hope we've, we've learned a little bit from last year and can try and uh, improve on now. Mm -hmm. I want to take a second to take a step back um, and, and reflect a little bit on this weekend at, at IMS. We just finished up. Um, it's the, you know, the, the second time that we had NASCAR and IndyCar, um, you know, both of the, those series honing in on one single track for a race weekend. We saw it last year, but it seemed like certainly very different conditions. I know from what we heard, you guys weren't really able to interact much between series, you know, going to the garages and really even in some ways being able to be around and, uh, you know, watch the the other series race too much. As you know, did you have any chances or did you, you know, take any opportunities to, you know, either say stick around and, and watch the Xfinity guys there on Saturday after your race, or um, you know, make it out to the track, or even just you know, watch at home, watch that that Cup race there, uh, and all of the the action and craziness that unfolded during that race on Sunday. Uh, I, I watched it from home. Um, you know, I, I love being at the track. I feel like we've been there a lot. Uh, this year and um, you know there's so many races at the minute just you know they're coming they're coming thick and fast uh, I actually ended up having a few beers after Saturday's race and I certainly didn't wake up with a with a headache or anything like that I felt pretty good actually I worked out Sunday um, but I just wanted to watch the race from home you know sure. I love my sofa you know I had uh, I had you know, we, we just ate here, we just chilled out and things like that. And I actually thought it was a really fun event. You know, I, I like watching it. I would say, you know, at the risk of sounding snobby here, you know, I, I love watching the indie cars go around the road course. 
you know, I know where we break, you know, I, I know how quick we are through some of them parts of the track, you know, and to then watch, you know, the cup cars go out, you know, and you see how much early they break and things like that. I mean, I enjoyed watching it from TV. You know, I thought that being able to see the commentary of it was, uh, was, was fun and whatnot, but, um, a pretty, pretty wild race, you know, in so many ways. And, you know, I think they probably have some things to, on the road course that they want to work on, you know, for next year, for when NASCAR um, go. I mean, I would be a, a huge uh, advocate, I guess, of doing a street race downtown in Indianapolis. You know, it's like our third race in Indy. I think that would be so so much fun and so cool. Uh, you know, racing on the racing on the road course twice is epic you know there's no doubt about it but uh you know i think it'd be fun to try and do something you know a little different perhaps for that third event even though it's cool we get to share it with with nascar and and whatnot but um i was really happy that aj almondinger got the win uh you know it was a pretty crazy you know last lap and uh I've, i've been trying to follow the drama of the last lap a bit but you know either way i was I was really chuffed to, uh, you know, for him to to get a win there, and um, yeah, it was just it was just fun to to watch. Yeah, um, I hadn't even, you know, hadn't ever thought about uh, a street race here in Indianapolis. That sure would be wild. I know we've heard NASCAR have, um, you know, some very mild talks. Uh, about you know the potential of them trying out a, a street race at some point, which really would be interesting when you think about it. I mean, these cars, even in their their road races, um, really do like to uh, stretch the limits of the track a little bit, which is and you know partially what we saw become such a major issue on Sunday late in that Cup race there with the the curbing coming off strictly because you know they were just driving over it constantly and i think you know in some ways maybe that curbing just wasn't quite um suited to be run over by 3400 pound stock cars for two or three days constantly um, particularly in a, in a race like we had on sunday but a, a street race here in indianapolis sure would turn a lot lots of heads it would be interesting to see what a course like that might look like um and you you also mentioned aj you know getting that win um really cool for for him um it was very much so uh kind of a a win of attrition you know he just his his team there just put the car in the in the right spot took a a little bit of a conservative approach and and let some folks ahead of them make some mistakes and they were able to capitalize and you could really tell um on a a weekend where there was you know where (laughs) questions about um think someone's at your door mate uh no, I've just got a not quite two year old puppy that likes to uh Aww. to bark at just about everything. Um he's uh protecting he's you. Like, See something yes. moving outside. Protecting yeah, I think <laughs> um you're you're right about that. I get plenty of protection from uh from him from all of the ghosts and everything that might be outside or people walking on the sidewalk. But um I know I did hear that dogs can maybe see ghosts. I don't know who comes up with this stuff, but apparently if that's the case, then our our house is probably haunted with how much he to- with how much he barks. Um, but uh, back to AJ. Life, he, life um, tips from Jack. <laughs> that's good. Um, 
it was cool, you know, in a, a weekend where we heard some drivers uh, poo-poo, for lack of a better phrase, you know, the idea of the Cup Series running on the road course. It was cool to see someone, you know, get this win and, and just how important um, and how much they cherished it. You know, I, I did kind of wonder, you know, if, if uh, you know, someone like, like say, for example, Kyle Busch or Kevin Harvick, who were pretty open in their frustration about moving from the oval to the road course and, you know, that they felt like the, the race there and the potential win there would mean a lot less. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with them, but I will say, you know, it was, it was cool to see someone like AJ um, and just the exuberance that he showed with his team there being a a part-time driver in the series this year, be able to come out with a, a victory um, and just the, you know, the motions in the scene that played out from, from his win. Yeah, I think what was interesting about that was before the race, I saw some of the guys with those comments about, you know, racing on the oval and that's the road course and things like that. But I think AJ's reaction to winning and that team's reaction to winning, to me, winning at the speedway is, is the prestigious part. And that's what I took from it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think seeing... If if AJ had jumped out of the car and been like, "Yeah, cool, we won," then yeah, but I think everyone would have been like, "Man, like the oval is really, you know, the crown, one of the crown jewels, like no doubt." But to me, going to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is the crown jewel, you know, or one of them at least in NASCAR's world. And I've been to the Brickyard and I've watched the NASCAR race there, and I thought the road course was a more exciting race in my opinion. And I think what also really helped everybody was seeing the jubilation for AJ and his team and how much it means to win at Indy road mm-hmm. course or oval, you know? So I hope that, you know, I mean, why don't they just go back and do it twice as well then? You know, like why don't they do the oval one weekend and then do the road course another? I mean, that's what we do. Yeah, you could, I mean, you could, you could maybe, I mean, this all depends on, you know, NASCAR's schedule. And I know they've kind of been in a place where, A, they've been, I think, in lots of ways working off of one-year deals with tracks um, and also, you know, been in the process of adding road courses while still staying at the same number of races. And so some ovals have been dropping off and there's been a lot of ebb and flow over these last couple of years. Um I mean, I think that was something that drivers, you know, even some of those drivers that were fairly critical, I think would be open to and even said as much either this weekend or leading up to the weekend, whether it was at least, you know, switching back and forth year to year on whether they ran the street course or, you know, the the road course, not the street course, uh, the road course or the oval on a year to year basis, or, I mean, even two races, uh, I think, you know, still would be cool. You, you would definitely need to spread those out enough uh to where you know they weren't bunched up i know you know nascar likes to you know say for any of the races that are on the the 
final 10 races of the year in the playoffs. They typically like to have those either in the spring or at least the early summer at the very latest, just to kind of give those tracks a chance to, um, you know, not get too bunched up in the scheduling. So I don't necessarily know, you know, when would be a good spot for NASCAR to return. Maybe that's, you know, in some way, doing uh you know making the the gmr grand prix weekend maybe a, a double header and and then maybe you know nascar comes back uh you know in the late summer early fall you know whether you make it part of the the playoffs or not i'm not sure i know there's always been a push here recently to get you know and make nascar's race happen before the uh, NFL season starts because the the Colts become such a major draw to folks in this community, along with just college football at large. Um, and in times when they've held that race in, say, September, I know they've struggled at time on attendance. But it's certainly an interesting idea. Uh, I mean, we saw a really strong crowd there on Sunday, even when it was a day that you could argue that there wasn't as much on-track product uh, to be had for just a general racing fan. I think the the crowd there, Doug Bowles said, was uh, about 20% higher on Sunday than it was on Saturday when the, the Indy cars and Xfinity cars were racing, and you also had Cup uh, holding its first and only practice. So it's I think there's certainly something to be to be looked at there, um, but I would uh, certainly agree with you. It was nice to have a race where you didn't have to. Where like the only thing that you were wondering about was, okay, is someone on you know too old of tires and they're going to blow a tire, and that's what's basically going to determine who wins this race. We saw that in 2020 when. Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin were battling up at the front and eventually, you know, Denny blew, I think, a right front tire uh, and sent it into the wall. And that was basically what determined whether they were going to have a battle at the end of the race or not. These cars just get so strung out and it's so hard for them to run at all close to create uh, a race where you can have a decent amount of passing. And we that's what we had. There was unpredictability. There was race craft. There was some decent passing. Um, I know if you're IMS and yeah, I I know if you're IMS and IndyCar, you don't or IMS and NASCAR, you don't want to have uh, a glaring issue like the the curb that got too damaged that they ended up having to remove and the chaos that that brought on for the end of the race. But um, all in all, I still feel like it's something that they can work on and tinker with and and hopefully it's uh, it's a race that's here for for the next several years from a, a nascar and just general racing fan standpoint i hope so yeah all right well uh before we finish up i will uh we'll talk through here some news that uh if you haven't heard of you'll be hearing about here very shortly um i'm, I'm sure it will be announced by this time this podcast is up so we'll be able to you know, freely talk about it here on this podcast. Um, today, uh, folks in Des Moines, uh, Iowa, including the uh, state governor there, folks from the Hy-Vee Midwest supermarket chain, um, folks at Ray Letterman Lanigan Racing, and Roger Penske as well got together to announce that starting in 2022, 
uh, IndyCar has reached a multi-year agreement to return to Iowa Speedway for a double header event in late July next year. Those races will run July 23rd and 24th. Of course, with major support from Hy-Vee, they will be the title sponsor of both of those races. Um, I believe one will be a, a 200 and the, um, I don't know if it's, I, I guess I would guess either 250 miles or 250 laps one of them is, and the other one is 300 of one of those, given the the names of both of those races. We'll hear more um, from all of the important parties here in a, in a press conference here in about 40 minutes or so from when we're taping this podcast. But just uh, what what was your initial reaction about hearing about the, the return for IndyCar to go to Iowa, a track that I know a lot of folks really love on this calendar and certainly one that was missed uh, from an oval racing standpoint here in 2021 when it fell off. I was just really happy. You know, I really enjoyed racing at Iowa last season. Um, you know, it was sad to, but it wasn't going to make the schedule and equally very happy that uh, all parties who managed to put this back on, put it back on, um, you know, just I, I don't know. I mean, I know people sometimes complain about Iowa, and you know it's far away and it's hot and there's a lot of corn around it and whatnot. But it also kind of feels like a staple of IndyCar racing. And I think having a season that is, you know, has a few more ovals in it, also feels like the heart of IndyCar racing. And I think that's what we enjoy about it is you know the diversity of racetracks and the amount of different ones we can go to, you know, and things like that. And um, yeah. I, I just really, really happy and chuffed that, um, you know, everybody who came together to make this happen, uh, you know, did. I think it's cool that and shows the continued health of the sport that a sponsor like Hy-Vee um, really came in just only about a year ago uh, into the sport. They they started off with a primary sponsorship deal on Graham Rahal's car and I think the second of the two races at Iowa last year and bumped that up to a, a primary sponsorship for the 500 on Spencer Piggott's car later on that season and, and now have been featured on, uh, I think, both Graham and the number 45 cars um, a handful of times this year. And it's just been cool to see a sponsor um come into this sport and just, you know, dive in headfirst in, in just a year. Uh, I mean, obviously we learn about new sponsors that come into this sport, but, you know, maybe they're, you know, only a, a primary sponsor for three or four races and that's, and they just kind of stay at that point and we don't really hear a whole lot more from them. It's been, it's always neat when you get a, a sponsor that comes into the sport and really can make an impact. And I think they probably saw, saw a void when this, uh, when this race fell off the schedule, it did seem like there were times there, you know, around when last year's schedule came out that we wondered if Iowa would ever be on the IndyCar schedule again. Frankly, it's a track that's owned by NASCAR, and uh, just to race there last year, IndyCar basically had to rent out the track. We didn't, I don't think, had a uh, a title sponsor for either of those events, and essentially meant that. Penske wasn't getting any sort of, um, you know, fee either from a sponsorship standpoint or a, a race fee to be able to 
have the opportunity to host it there from a promoter uh, and really kind of, I think, aid a lot of expenses in just being able to put that race on or those two races on and just get even the, the season's number of races up to 14. But uh, I think it was it was going to take a, a good amount of moving and shaking to get IndyCar back there. And it's cool to see that really in just one year's time or less, uh, all of the parties at hand were able to come together and and make that happen. This is a, a multi-year deal. Um, so I would imagine this is not only IndyCar being here, but IndyCar being here in, in doubleheader fashion um, will be, you know, continue, will continue for sometimes it bumps up what I would expect the oval race count for 2022 to be, uh, I think at five races, Mark Miles has said previously that, um, he does not expect there to be a double header at Texas next year, but, uh, I've heard good things on the, the worldwide technology raceway front there in, uh, the last year of their deal this year with IndyCar. But if you have a race there at Texas two at Iowa and one at the 500, you're back up to five and at, or around the one third mark that I think IndyCar really likes being at where you have, you know, a third of the races on temporary street circuits, a third on road circuits and a, a third on ovals, uh, that I think gives this, schedule and the series a, a really unique feel where you get a, a little bit of everything uh when you're talking about the the indycar calendar and something that no really no other form of racing around the world can uh can boast about all right well that will do us for this week's edition of indycar weekly uh you can tune in this weekend to watch uh, the IndyCar series practice, qualify, and eventually race all on Saturday. I believe those first two on-track sessions will be on Peacock for you Peacock premium subscribers. And then we have a race that will get started uh, Saturday evening on NBC Sports, like I said, right around 8.30 or so. Um, Tune in to check out and see how this Meyer Shank Racing uh, team on the number 60 of Jack Harvey's does, as well as how the top five at the front of IndyCar's points race continue to uh, unfold. Thanks again, as always, uh, for joining me this week, Jack. Oh, of course, mate. It was fun. All right. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to tune in next week as we break down this weekend's race at Worldwide Technology Raceway and take a a further look at the final three races on this year's IndyCar calendar. Thanks for, for listening to this week's edition of IndyCar Weekly.